Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Just a quick technical note. This episode has a little bit of audio difficulty. I neglected to record during part of the beginning of the episode, and I had to use my backup recording. But midway through, my guest's audio should improve a lot. Regardless, enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who still enjoys Donald Duck comics, and I am excited to have a new guest host this time to talk about our circus-themed story. Um, Guest host, please introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Dan Severino, Mark's little, little brother. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks a lot. So, you know, I've been been wanting to get you to join me for a while because um, I... I love to talk about these stories, and it's it's a great excuse to make the people I love read them. I don't know if you remember me having them littering my room and, and the house as we were growing up at all. Oh, definitely. I remember comic box after comic box. You know, there would be six, seven stacked up on each other. Uh, very fun to go through them. Yeah, I was a big fan. I think you and our other brother James read them occasionally, um, but I don't think I ever really got you into them. This one may not be the best one to get someone into reading Carl Barks. It's it's a it's a bit of an unusual one. Today we're going to be talking about. Big Top Bedlam, which, as I mentioned, is a circus-themed issue. And um, Dan, do you have any kind of opening thoughts on the circus or circuses in general? Are are you a fan of the circus? Um, I personally um, don't ever remember going to the circus, even though you told me we went as kids. That's, uh, That's about the knowledge I have of that. I like certain things like that, except for the animal part. I, I I think zoos can be fun, but there's always a little bit of guilt going there. That takes away from it. So the animal exploit long story short, the animal exploitation can uh, can be a little uh, downer. But other than that, you know, the everything else sounds like fun. Sure. I think that you're in good company with, you know, the guilt over animal exploitation, right? Because that's, that's what's happened in the last few years the uh, yeah no one likes the circus anymore we had the big um ringling brothers barnum and bailey whatever basically stopped touring just just a few years ago once they got rid of their once they stopped using elephants i think they felt like they were not financially viable and it's fascinating to me how like this was such a huge part of american life for for a long time for like a century right and Mm -hmm. And, and that's the thing that kind of comes across to me in this issue is the excitement when the circus comes to town. If you think about like pop culture for so long, there was always this kind of issue or this kind of episode, you know, the circus themed episode of older TV shows was a thing in a way that it just isn't anymore. So, you know, that's something we can think about as we dive into the story. I also think that clowns have pretty much fallen out of fashion these days, too. I know my kids are... My kids have never found clowns to be anything 
anything less than horrifying. Maybe that's the fault of Stephen King. I don't know. But again, back back in the 50s, clowns were mischievous and, and fun and innocuous and and uh, they're just not in fashion. So yeah. let's uh, let's talk about a little bit of the background of Big Top Bedlam. And this this is a story that came out. Uh, the cover date is November of 1950. So Dan, I started um, you know the podcast about a half year ago. I've been going through these adventure stories chronologically. We've just gotten into the 50s, right? So that we're in that post-war era here. This was printed in four color number 300, and that probably doesn't mean much to you, but four color is this series of one shots, and they would feature a different character every month or so. You might have like Bugs Bunny one month or one week and one of the Disney characters. And eventually Donald Duck is going to get his own series. But for now, Carl Barks stories are just getting published in the the one shot four color series. Oh. I also always like to um, check in on how many times a story has been reprinted because it kind of gives you an idea of the popularity. This one, if you count the original printing, this has only been reprinted five times, which is much less, much fewer than most of the stories that I've covered, which usually range between like eight and 12 reprintings. So I suspect that this one just doesn't seem that relevant for the for the publishers who reprint these, because that's very few over the last, uh, what, 70 years now. Mm-hmm. This is a 28-pager, pretty average for these stories. And uh, let's see, a little bit, little bit of background trivia. This is one of the last stories that Carl Barks is going to do that features human-looking characters. Yeah. I don't know if that stood out to you, but usually the Bark stories will feature that kind of Disney-like dog nose for the background characters. I did notice that with some of the, uh, uh, a couple of the people on the street, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. And and, and Zippo himself um, mm-hmm. is human. And, and these characters are all human is kind of the position of Barks. They're just some of them are humans that look like ducks. Some of them are humans that look like dogs. But at, at one point, his publisher basically said, stop drawing regular humans. It's distracting. Oh, okay. So yeah, we're, we're just a few stories away from that happening. And then I, I noticed looking this one up that the cover, first off, he, he did not get to draw the cover cover for this originally. It was done by, um, I think, one of the editors, Carl Butner, And uh, the cover actually says that it's an animated cover. And there were instructions on the inside for how you can make it move. So I don't, I don't have any insight on how you actually do that, but a little thing of note. So Dan, I like to take a little bit of time to kind of pander to the international listeners by uh, mentioning some of the titles from around the world. And let me let me go ahead and drop one in the chat. And uh, if you don't mind, I will ask you to read this one. Um, I'm going to give you the German title. Go ahead, hit me with your uh, best. This is the German title. Okay. Die Jagd nach der Brüche. Uh, I have taken six semesters of German. Um, wow, that one is a little bit above me, Die Jagd. I, but, can, uh, I can run it through Google Translate. I usually have. I double check myself on the Spanish anyway. Oh, yeah. I actually knew what Jagd meant from our recent one, The Trail of the Unicorn, because I looked it up yeah. before, and, and that means the hunt. Oh, uh, like Jaeger, hunter. Right. And that last word is bro. Roach, right? Okay, like the yeah. 
the yeah, little. I'm not familiar with that one. Right. I, why would you be? It's that little. <laughs> it's that little pin of daisies. So that's mm. a that's a pretty weird title, right? Because that's like not the hunt for the the brooch. Yeah, that's not the point of the story at all. All right, what's our title in Spain? This is called Alboroto en el Circo, and um, like you, I, I do speak this language, but I have no idea what Alboroto means. I know en el Circo is in the circus. Oh, Alboroto is uproar. Oh, okay. That's a pretty good translation of the word bedlam, I'd say. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, let's um, let's see. We'll go one more. I'll do... This is interesting. France has a couple of different titles, but it looks like the most common one is Charivari en Delire. So Google Translate is failing me. I'm going to guess that it's Circus in Delirium because it's just yeah. saying Charivari again. Yeah, it's like a, a, a parade. So I think it's probably a, a slang term for circus. So anyway, notable appearances in this one, I would say, are only real notable appearance. I mean, I guess we've got Daisy in this one. I don't get to do many of these <laughs> stories that have Daisy. But our quick change artist, Zippo. Yeah. So he's he's pretty notable. He's definitely a character. Yeah, I definitely will have some thoughts on him. But Yeah. So, Dan, I usually have a lot of kind of historical or geographical context to talk about in the background for these stories. But, I mean, apart from just being fascinated by how the circus was this huge American institution and then basically died this really ignoble death... <laughs> I don't, I don't really have too much to say about this background-wise. So let, let's just launch into the story itself, all right? Sounds good. Awesome. So, you know, here and there, this this one is, is a lot more slapstick. It's kind of filled with mayhem, so I might, I might summarize a little more than I usually do. But Big Top Bedlam opens up... I, I actually really like this opening, right? It it feels very quintessentially all-American. It's got the ducks enjoying some fishing, and they see the circus train crossing this, like, beautiful trestle bridge uh, pulling into town. The ducks are very excited at the prospect of seeing the circus. And, and, you know, I think this was one of those, like, very American experiences. When the circus came to town, historically... People would get so excited. Sometimes I know that cities would declare like a holiday. People would just go home, get ready, because yeah. it was it was just the the big entertainment. So, yeah, I know it's like a little bit before our time. It was like, you know, the circus or the county fair came to town. You know, it was it was important years ago, but I think it was more so bef a little before our time. That was just, you know, it'd come in, big deal, everyone would go type thing. Yeah, it was it was a community event. So so the ducks drop what they're doing, you know, and they get ready to head to the circus until Donald realizes that he's broke. But um <laughs> but he he's going to He's got the idea that he's going to raid a secret money cache of his. And so on that next page, you know, they, they get home and he uh, he's kind of revealing his money cash here. And and this is another of those tropes, right? He's hidden it in a sardine can, a sardine <laughs> tin. And I've seen these in old cartoons, but like never in real life. And uh, there's a little reference to, you know, there was a previous scare with burglars. Um, so that's why he was hiding it. No one would look in there, and it's, it's pretty stinky. And unfortunately, Donald realizes when he looks in that he'd already raided his money cash to pay the rent. A good reason. And they note that the only thing in there is an old heirloom brooch um, of, of daisies. 
and they're all kind of staring at it. They're they're all tempted because it seems valuable. And Donald is is pondering. Dan, do you mind reading what he says on the very last panel? Uh, he's talking about the brooch, and he says, uh, "I could hawk it for a saw book, but." Yeah, so right, and and that's that's a fun sentence to me, right? Because like hawk is is a very specific yeah. thing you do when you pawn something. Yeah. Do you know Do you know what a sawbuck is, Dan? I do. It's a ten dollar bill. Yeah, I, I I just I like that. It feels very dated in a kind of a charming way. But I'll tell you before we proceed, this setup stresses me out. I hate this trope um, when anyone does it, when when someone is going to pawn something that belongs to someone else. I yeah. hate it. Yeah. Because you know where the story is going. Yeah. All right. So on the third page, you know, Donald is kind of rationalizing, you know, the, the timing and, and how, OK, he could do it. He can he can hawk it and he can have it back in time. And and so he decides to do it. Right. Because this is important. It's the circus. It's in town. And Donald is heading towards the pawn shop. We assume um, he's kind of repulsed by the brooch because it's it smells like sardines so he's tossing it around a little bit to air it out and uh he we get one of those like pied piper moments right he doesn't realize that he is starting to attract all of the alley cats in the vicinity and (laughs) and one of them snatches it in midair and runs off with it and you know here we've got it smells good to a cat yeah yeah why why wouldn't it so this is a fun little page again kind of a stressful setup in short order on the fourth page donald is chasing the cat through the city he grabs it by the tail on a bridge and the brooch is lost into the river. And well, I I found it a little interesting that um the cat just the noise it makes the yow yeah just that sound effect. I was trying to imagine how that would sound from a cat. You're right. Well, um, anytime you're walking through the house in the dark and you step on its tail, I imagine that's it. <laughs> So on the end of this page, we get this like immediate fulfillment of the trope. You know, it's not, this is total happenstance, right? Daisy enters the scene at at the worst possible time. Donald is horrified to see her. So he's just accelerating this. You know, I'm, I'm snapping my fingers probably obnoxiously into the podcast's microphone, but um, this is just advancing the story really quickly. Do you mind telling us what Daisy wants from Donald here? Well, she begins saying uh, she was on the way to your house. Um, well, sure enough, she wants her brooch. Exactly. She she wants the brooch. It's incredibly convenient. And Donald makes a snap decision here. He is going to tell a lie about a large, a great big man who knocked him down and took off with it. Again, this is that kind of trope that I find very stressful, very uncomfortable. I hate, I hate the character gets caught in a lie and has to cover it. I know. So Daisy responds very predictably right she she wants to call the police as as you might suspect and she makes the um she infers that it people from the circus came into town right they're they're well known i'm i'm sure it's a reputation like 
like carnies or um, people who work at the fair. You know, they're fly by night, so she suspects that someone from the circus must have done it. And uh, she hauls Donald off to to go call the cops and and get it. Yeah, I mean, she just has such an innocence about her, and you can't help but uh, you know, just no, she's she just she's so well-meaning, and you just feel bad that she can't find her brooch. You know, she has um, no inkling that her boy uh, possibly did something with it. Yeah, you're you're right. She looks very innocent. She's very bright-eyed. When she um when she comes on the scene, what do you? I just noticed. What do you think of her hat? That is very noticeable. It looks like um a pile of fruit mixed with a flower. Right. I don't know if it's supposed to be like a Carmen Miranda thing. Um, <laughs> I will say Barks doesn't doesn't do a ton of women characters, and sometimes Daisy is not a depicted. I would say with the most. I don't know that he always knows what to do with her, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it looks like she's got some like kooky fashion here or something. So she drags him to the circus, or rather, she's dragging him towards the the police, and he says that you know he thinks he can get it back, and and he basically ends up talking himself into a corner, right where she where she gives him the ultimatum all right we're right nearby the circus you go and get that where you recover my brooch um don't come back without it or i will call the police and so he's just kind of standing around feeling sorry for himself at the periphery of the circus and he chances he's he's kind of thinking to himself that there's no chance in a million that he's ever going to see that pin again and right as he's thinking that he smells sardines and he sees a guy tossing daisy's pin up and down Mm -hmm. well i also found it interesting uh funny when he um you know welcomes the lion to uh, eat him for lunch that's how um that's how much of a bind he thinks he feels he's in yeah yeah he's like sitting right in front of the lion's cage and and dan i i already kind of alluded that this is not my favorite of his stories but i really do enjoy a lot of this background art a lot of the like illustrations showing the circus yeah. itself yeah i do too so um donald takes off on the next page after this random guy and he kind of startles him he alarms him a little bit because the guy slips under the the big top tent and um donald follows him and donald can't tell the the first person that donald encounters um he's dressed pretty stereotypically he's got what seems to be a turban he speaks with like a pretty unfortunate sort of pigeon dialect and we can tell that it's the guy that it's the guy that he was following but donald has no idea right so we get that guy's perspective for just a moment and he says that oh that duck sure wants to see me about something so we we can tell right away that this guy um seems to be part of the circus quick change seems to be what he's good at and he doesn't want to be caught yeah he's a quick change artist right and on the next page we see him enter a tent that gives his little like mini bio and it labels him tell tell us dan what uh how he's how he's labeled zippo world's fastest quick change artist and it says keep out right so he's um He's probably the star of the circus, right? Donald is tearing all about the circus looking for this guy and causing a bit of a commotion. And he essentially gets kicked around into realizing that if he wants to be able to look for this guy without getting bothered, he's going to need to get a job. 
a lot of really interesting panels on this one. You know, we, we've got Donald walking past a lovingly drawn elephant. And then in the very next panel, there's really a, a pretty awful representation of, uh, of a black yeah. person with the, the caricature yeah. of big lips. I, I think that the, the reprint of this, Dan, that I read that was published in, I'm going to say, 87 or so, I'm pretty sure that it had censored. It had like tried to clean up that image because the one I'm sh- sharing with you is the original, the scan, a scan of the original from 1950. Yeah, it's um, not the most flattering image, but no, it's 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 pretty bad. Um, fortunately, it's 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 pretty brief and it's not that important to the story. But the ringmaster says that he can be bull cook to the elephants. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Me neither. But we see a suspicious-looking man next to the ringmaster telling him that, you know, this little guy's got some talent and you should let me use him in the clown act. And uh, we do see that that's Zippo kind of casually tossing that brooch up and down. Mm-hmm. And um, on the next page, we transition back to the nephews, Dan. Do, do you want to tell us a little bit about what the nephews are up to? They are upset because they want to go to the circus themselves and they think donald's just leaving them uh leaving them hanging right you were telling me before we started recording um that you were kind of surprised at the nephews in this one yeah um i don't think i've seen um this sort of hostility they show towards donald um in other stories as they as they show in in, in this one it's uh... yeah you're right they're they're pretty sour towards him they're, they're you don't usually see them with that kind of angry expression that they'll have through a lot of this one and um they're mischievous a lot especially in the older stories but they're like they're almost donald's foil in this one yeah um, I mean, Zippo is his real foil, but they're like this uh, extra, you know, source of antagonism. And what Barks does in these stories is he really does adjust the characters as he needs to. And he just wants to tell the story this time. Right. So he just needed them to have this dynamic, I suspect. I think that's part of why this story doesn't work for me that well. I don't I don't really like to see them as hostile as they are. Yeah, I'm used to seeing them um, in many ways be, be the adult to him and come through come through for him when he's in a bind right yeah that's a good point because they're usually very resourceful and they do sometimes save the day like the adults so they they decide to dip into their own save so they head to the circus themselves and uh we transition to showtime really beautiful drawing of, of of an elephant and a dancing girl and some other performers um, coming out in sort of old circus garb. Yeah, the elephant has a very um, natural look to it, especially in its eyes, where it's it's got that wild look. It's not a goofy elephant or anything like that. Yeah, you're right. It's it's very realistic looking. You know, we we get the nephew's point of view at this point after the ringmaster introduces uh, the circus, and they're just enjoying the spectacle. And at some point, they see Donald walking out dressed as a clown. And uh, they're instantly infuriated because they they have put two and two together and they're assuming that he, you know, forgot about them to get himself this plushy job in the circus. And uh, they're menacingly holding up a slingshot. Basically, this is setting us up for most of the rest of this story. 
where Donald is going to be looking for the brooch and the guy who has the brooch um, and the nephews are going to be looking for an opportunity to basically mess him up. Anytime a slingshot comes out, you know, mischief is going to follow. Right. And, and that's another big marker of this era, right? Because in the 1950s, this was a totally normal thing for a kid to have. And we really don't see them these days. And so on the next page, you know, we realize that the person doing the introduction has actually been Zippo himself. And he changes, he changes from his ringmaster guys into something that looks like, I guess, Napoleon Bonaparte. And he immediately proceeds to basically give Donald the works. He flings him onto a little bicycle and he launches him um, onto the high wire. And we're going to get all of this kind of like circus slapstick. And I'm trying to decide, like, none of it is very narrative at this point, right, Dan? No, no, there isn't much narration. It's just, um, it, it came pretty abruptly. You know, he just started throwing him on um, circus acts, basically. But there's there's no, like, now I'm going to put him on this. Now I'm going to... Right, so... Like, th this one is, is an unusual story. It actually kind of reminds me way back um, at the very beginning of, of doing the podcast, I talked about Donald Duck Finds Pirate Gold, which is a story that he did. It was originally supposed to be a Donald Duck cartoon. Mm -hmm. And this kind of reminds me of, of that, right? It's, it's almost like a cartoon storyboard here because... It's, it's just a lot of slapstick. Um, we have Donald being put into some sort of circus peril. We've got Zippo changing into some new disguise. Uh, on the next page, you know, Donald is kind of biking really high on the, on the high wire. Zippo transforms into a gorilla. Donald falls. There's some cool perspectives on this page, I guess. Yeah, the, um, the, the changing into the gorilla is pretty impressive itself. Yeah, and what we're going to see is Donald um, catching sight of the brooch, Zippo wondering how Donald keeps knowing that it's him and why he's coming after him, and the nephews being sour about the crowd um, being impressed with Donald and, and looking for the opportunity to to peg him. So Yeah, they even mentioned that he reeks, he stinks. Right, yeah. And and so we kind of keep transitioning this way. Zippo changes into a firefighter. He kind of terrorizes Donald with some clown mischief. On the next page, Donald is like retaining water in his clown suit, and Zippo um, changes. Tell me about his that that quick change is is pretty surprising. I think. Oh yeah, the devil. That was um, that was. It's almost creepy, you know. Like just surprising, you know. Right, because he's like a, a devil with underwear, nothing but underwear. Yeah. On. <laughs> it's it's pretty weird. It's 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 some neat, nimble drawing, and he pokes him, and he uh, with his pitchfork, his trident, whatever, and uh, he he leers, he jeers that he's leaking like a water wagon, which I think is another <laughs> yeah. dated reference. And Donald's clearly just humiliated. Right. Uh, on the next page, we get another quick change where um, he's dressed like a skeleton, which makes Donald think that he's pulled everything off except his bones. And one of the clowns has him run through a little paper target right into right onto a donkey's back. 
And then on to the next page. Donald is always a step behind Zippo, right? Who Zippo directs him to put his head into like um, a little portal where he gets he gets the classic custard pie thrown at him by a clown. Uh, custard or lemon. Yes, yes. We get one custard and one lemon. And the nephews are just, they're not enjoying this show at all, right? They think he's having a good time, but... Right. And um, one of the nephews is still biding his time, waiting for an opportunity to to peg him with another slingshot. And all, all this, like, mayhem and slapstick kind of escalates. Um, that we haven't really alluded yet, that um, uh, Zippo thinks uh, Donald's a bill collector. Yes. That's a good point, right? The reason that Zippo is trying to avoid him is because he surmises that he's a debt collector and he says that uh, he's never paid a debt before. <laughs> so all of this slapstick kind of um, escalates into this big gag where he Zippo lures Donald into uh, a, a really impressive looking cannon that is is clearly the classic circus trick the human cannonball yeah and this this is going to be an opportunity for the nephews right because zippo wants to launch him for the crowd's benefit but uh whichever angry nephew has the slingshot T- tell us, Dan, what uh, what ends up happening. It, it, it seems Zippo is going to um, give him like a regular launch, but somehow uh, correct one of the nephews is able to time it. So he uh, pegs Zippo in the rear, makes Zippo uh, sort of squeal and um, launch him full blast. That's exactly right. He gives him a really mighty launch. Um, On to the next page, you know, he ends up landing outside of the circus tent and uh, this is Donald's had enough. He's going to quit the circus, even if it means not getting that pin back. And he's kind of mulling over his bad luck, you know, walking around all dejectedly. And he happens on the little poster advertising Zippo. And he puts he finally puts two and two together. Uh, do you mind reading that last pa- panel for us? Uh, I get it. I catch on quick. That's the guy that has that has the pin, Zippo. He was all those guys, so he knew he's the same person. So I, I I like that a lot, right? Where he says he catches on quick. Yeah. And clearly, you know, I don't know how many pages of mayhem we just went through, but it was definitely the bulk of the story there. Yeah. So Donald decides to lie in wait, you know, till the end of the show. He's going to hide on the next page in Zippo's chest. And we transition back to the nephews who are like too demoralized to watch the rest of the show. So they leave a bit early and we get to see Zippo in the end of his act. And uh, it's, it's a pretty cool finale, Dan. Do you want to tell us about it? Yeah, yeah. He, he just zips in and out um, really quick. I mean, he's a fast, quick change artist. So he's able to go from Native American to what looks like could be like a Spanish bullfighter. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Then finally to what appears to be like a beautiful woman. 
And um, I think that Native American is meant to look like the old cigar store Indians. Have you ever yeah. seen those? Yeah, yeah, I have. So the the crowd is this. This is a fitting grand finale. Everyone's very excited. Um, and it's very key that he's finished by transforming into a woman there, right? Because when we transition back to Donald waiting in ambush, what happens? Uh, well, he he jumps at him and uh, uh, immediately regrets it because he thinks he's um, rushing a woman. Right, right. And, and uh, Zippo, disguised as the woman, um, says, you thought what? Get out, you masher. I, I like that. That's such an outdated term. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I have an idea what they mean by that, but I don't know the meaning of that term in that sense. It's a very gentle way of uh, describing a man who tries to take advantage of a woman, I think. I see. Oh, that's funny because that Zippo goes that far with it. Right. And um, so Donald, Donald gets hung up as he tries to frantically get him out of this himself out of this pretty awkward situation he gets caught up on the pin and he says what pin donald says and uh, on, on the next page zippo is telling him about this pin that fell on him while he was swimming under the bridge that very morning and so donald has figured out you know we we kind of transition to them having kind of a nice moment dan do you mind telling us about their little moment together yeah i mean they're they're laughing at the story um he's uh you know zippo says oh i i thought you were a bill collector and it's oh i thought you're you were one of the people who were after me over some of the uh, like uh unmoral things i did but you're not so that's great or something right right yeah they're, <laughs> they're very buddy buddy very quickly considering all the mayhem that they just went through mm -hmm. and uh so donald heads off thinking of you know thinking of warding off daisy's anger so as he crosses the bridge on the way back the, the boys spy him they're back to their fishing one of the nephews is is the only one who didn't get a chance with the slingshot and and we're gonna see it go right back into the into the drink as as the nephew hits him square on, he loses the brooch in, back into the river, and he's extremely dejected. So he decides that his only option is to go and tell Daisy the truth. So this is kind of one of those things where you're like, okay, you, you could have done that at the very beginning, but obviously we wouldn't have had our slapstick story. Well, at least he learned his lesson. Sure. So he goes back hat in hand, ready to confess to Daisy. Um, and he explains the story. Um, and, and the narration box makes sure to tell us that he he tells her everything, you know, that his his original plan to hawk the pin. The, uh, his, his encounter with Zippo and Daisy reacts. Could, could you tell us, Dan, about her reaction? Yeah, she gets hysterical and uh, says that she wanted to go to the museum uh, club banquet. Uh, I, I guess she wanted the, the brooch. Was it to be uh, classy at the museum or was, was right. that? The... Yeah, I think it was meant to be her like her little showpiece, right? Because it's a family heirloom. And Donald has this moment of, wait, we? Because <laughs> she alludes to, you were going to take me to the banquet. And 
and we get we get this over the top like sort of domestic strife um internal monologue where donald is saying oh could anything have been more awful and, and he says any punishment will be easy to take now this is <laughs> his internal monologue what does he what does he offer to daisy dan he just says uh can you take the rolling pin and uh, uh massage my scalp i think he says yeah it's a good it's a good line give me a good old skull massage <laughs> yeah implying you know go ahead beat me with this rolling pin it's obviously like over the top for comic effect it's still it's very uncomfortable in hindsight right yeah like it's these old comics from this era there was a lot of like humor in um i don't want to call it domestic violence exactly because it's coming from such a slapstick point of view Mm -hmm. Uh, on the face of it though it is domestic violence. That's definitely partner abuse. There's also a lot of joking about corporal punishment in, in these stories, you know, kids getting uh, spanked and more like hit with switches. So this is just, I don't, I don't know about you, th- this is not the kind of thing that I really find as funny these days, but it was it was a totally mainstream trope. Yeah, I view it more as a trope. I mean, I didn't find it particularly funny, but um, you, you can see that he's just happy to not be going and that's not have to go there, that the, the beating he's going to take is, is uh, preferable. Right. And it is pretty funny to me, Daisy's reaction, right? How she's basically... Because he told the truth, finally, um, she thinks that he's suffered enough not only is she not going to continue to be mad at him, but she actually wants to cook him up a, ni- a really nice dinner. <laughs> tell us, tell us, Dan, about what she offers to make him. She offers young quail on dumplings. Right, giblets of young quail on dumplings. Um, and, and so he's just exulting. He is so happy about how, this this turned out best case scenario for him when all is said and done and uh, unfortunately the doorbell the the buzzer sounds and is is going to rain on his parade because on the next page as daisy goes to see who it is donald startles a little bit to hear her greeting huey louie and dewey and uh and tell us Tell us what Huey, Dewey, and Louie present to Daisy. Well, they um, what they found inside a fish they caught was uh, the very same pendant that Donald, for the second time, dropped into the river. Right. So we have just all these crazy one in a million coincidences, right? It's all very one in a million. So yeah. I guess the I guess the story is pretty consistent in that respect. And then we get, you know, Daisy, of course, is delighted. And and the closing panel has Donald and Daisy at this museum banquet. And everyone at that museum is just this sort of like high society weirdo, essentially. It's it's all these dopey looking (laughs) rich people listening to a professor. Do you mind telling us what he's what he's uh, pontificating about, Dan? Uh, he's saying regional artifacts of the early Barbian era contain the most interesting worn holes, blah, blah, blah. 
So Rubarbian, I like that Rubarbian. That's very Barksian. Um, and Donald is just stewing over this incredibly banal, boring bit of high <laughs> society torture that he's subjected to. And, you know, it's it's one boring evening, right? And probably a pretty good free meal. But but uh, that is that is big top bedlam. So Dan, what what are your what are your thoughts about this story? Um, I I think Zippo is you know he's like at first you see him as an antagonist, but at the same time not really. He's just a guy that's caught up in his own um, his own uh, uh, game. And um, but I also thought like a, a quick change artist is is that like actually a thing? I think back when you had like circuses, it probably was more of a th- I I know I can't imagine like going to see some live entertainment that involved um, that, unless it was like a concert where someone was also singing or dancing. Yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, it's it's good. You know, even there was, I even saw some like innocence in Donald in the same way I saw it in Daisy when he keeps falling for the pranks. Um, it, it just feel like he's uh, a little trusting uh, even, in, even in his position, so. Yeah, so... <laughs> I don't know, like, usually when I have someone start the podcast, I like to give them a, a pretty intriguing story. This one, unfortunately, is not not one of my favorites, but it I think it's an interesting one to talk about. I'm going to have to make you read some of the some of my favorites, because this one is so slapstick and yeah. so, so oddball that um, it really stands apart. And I, I'm, I'm sure for that reason that it's some people's favorites, but I know that I didn't really come back and, and read this one very often as a kid. I think I probably haven't read this one in a good 25 or so years. Yeah, some of the other ones you've shown me are definitely uh, more adventurous. They go travel, um, you know, to Australia or Canada or something like that. And this was more of just uh, a day at the circus. Yeah, and I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Like they don't all have to be adventure stories, but like, it's so not mundane, but it's like, it's just very little. He, it, it feels more like one of his 10 page gag stories. Cause a lot mm-hmm. of his stories, most of them are, are much shorter stories that are meant to be more slapstick like this one. So this one kind of feels like a, a 10 page gag story that's been stretched out and just has this really interesting setting. Yeah. And I, I do think that the art is pretty cool on this one. It's uh, it's got some yeah, it's got some fun stuff. But but again, this one's really not not a favorite of mine. Yeah. Yeah. So just a a few more reflections, you know, I think that it was almost required that at some point he do a circus story, right? Because it was, it was like being a kid's show at the time. You would, you would have your cowboy episode. Okay. Um, A kid's show today would have like a time travel episode. Um, You might have like it's, it's just one of those tropes that you had to do. It's like having a haunted house uh, issue or episode. So as far as that goes, it works okay. Other Disney media, like I, I really like the old Dumbo cartoon. You know, that's a fun circus set thing. Yeah. I, wonder, I, I expect that that was probably something that he was thinking about as he did this one. Dan, when I reflect on these, I I like to think about how well these stories hold up. You know, if there's stuff that's like dated or archaic, we talked a lot about this, but it it really bears repeating that 
the circus is almost completely irrelevant today. And, and just how incredibly quickly that happened. It still blows my mind, right? That this story seemed like a normal thing to write about and to draw an issue about. And no one thinks about circuses anymore. Yeah, I think uh, I think today's kids would probably find a circus to be very boring. <laughs> to be I, honest, yes, I agree. They would <laughs> rather um, they'd much mm-hmm. rather look look up some some silly tricks on YouTube, and I can't say I blame them in some ways. Um, <laughs> we know there were a few retrograde things in this, some some problematic depictions, but um, fortunately the story didn't really ride too too hard on it and and there there wasn't even a lot of the like animal angle of the like there was an elephant and there was a lion but most of the circus stuff was even human performers yeah specifically donald right um i i like to mention if there if barks was famous for doing oil paintings and lithographs that went along with some of his stories he um to my knowledge he never did one for this story and I'm not aware of like any DuckTales or other cartoons that tried to adapt this. I didn't ask you to keep a favorite panel in mind, which I usually do. So I don't know if anything comes to mind. So one of the panels that I actually really liked was um, kind of a mundane one. It was his like relieved expression near the end where he's like, thinking about how he dodged a bullet and saying, could anything have been more awful? I actually quite liked that one. (laughs) There's also a lot of really high angled shots, you know, him, him up at the trapeze during one of those slapstick moments was pretty cool. Also um, overlooking the, the river at the top of the bridge as the brooch plinks in the water for the last time. I also really liked the panel that um, showed the perspective of the cannon for the human cannonball. That one was really neat. Yeah, I mean, I particularly just like some of the scenery in the uh, in the beginning with the bridge and um, they paint really well the opening and it's got the uh, the old fish sticks where it's like there's no fishing poles. Yeah, they have no reel. It's just a stick with a line on it and a hook. I, yeah, I agree that that's a that's a pretty awesome panel. Um, and it's it's so quintessentially mid twentieth uh, century there, right? The circus train in the background, the fishing poles. It's yeah, like- and that's just uh, it's good old wholesome fun. You know, they're they're sitting around talking while they're fishing. You know, there's a couple uh, uh, brothers just at the fishing hole, basically. Yeah, that's a neat panel. Any other thoughts about this one, Dan? No, not particularly. I thought it was pretty straightforward, you know. Um, like I, I did happen to like Zippo. Um, the part at the end, there's only three little uh panels where it shows them, you know, uh socializing and having a good time. But it was it was a little heartwarming to see that there was there was no um bad feelings between the two of them. Yeah, that's true. Zippo wasn't like a a villain right he was kind of he kind of reminds me of like loki from the marvel movies you know uh haven't seen it ah well he's got kind of that like trickster energy that um that loki does i guess he's he's a bit of an anti-hero i'd say yeah excellent well i i really appreciate you joining me for one of these i'll have to force you to read a couple a couple of the others that i think hold up better I don't think this is a bad story per se. It's just, it's just such a like artifact 
Oh, and you know, I almost forgot to mention what the community itself thinks of, of it. So Dan, what, what I also like to do, there's a really neat resource called Index instead of Index, very clever, where people can vote and they can rank, uh, rate the stories. And so if you look at the story, uh, the rating for this one, Mm-hmm. This one's pretty well regarded by the community. It has a 7.7 out of 10, which is good for 138th place. That ranks all the Disney stories, the Disney comic stories that have pretty much ever been published, which is some like 41,000, some of them. So, oh, wow. Yeah, the Bark stories, they do tend to rate very high. And he did um, he did over 500 stories. So to be 138th, um, you got to figure at least half of those are non-Barks stories. So it's, it's, it's well regarded. It's obviously not regarded as one of the all-time greats, but, but this is from his kind of his golden era. So, so it obviously stands up, holds up well for, for many members of the community. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think this one's worthwhile, uh, especially if you're a Barks fan. I don't think I'm likely to revisit it anytime soon, but, but I'm glad I could, um, I could remember it and, and enjoy some, some pretty great art. Absolutely. The art, the art's really good in this one. It, it stands out pretty, pretty, uh, I mean, the colors they use are very um, pastel-like. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, Barks himself wouldn't have colored these. He would have drawn them in black and white. So a good colorer was really important to like bring these out. Huh. Um, but again, I really appreciate you coming on. I hope that I can get you back for another of these. Of course. I appreciate you having me and I'd love to come back, you know, uh, maybe a little less nervous. That didn't show at all. Well, I'm, I'm glad I could, I'm glad I could voice uh, another of these stories on, on friends and family. So thanks again. I hope that uh, listeners will join us next time. When we get to talk about one of his all time great Christmas stories, you can't guess. People can reach out at BarksRemarks at gmail.com or on our Facebook page. And uh, I would I would tell everyone to go out and enjoy a day at the circus, but uh, really can't. <laughs> I'll be looking forward. Awesome. All right. Mm-hmm.